I would encourage you to grab a Bible, open to Matthew chapter five. We're gonna pick up Jesus' words uh, that are called the Sermon on the Mount. Last weekend, we kicked this series off by looking at the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are a beautiful description of what God intended life to be. They describe what it looks like to follow after Jesus, to live a, a flourishing life as God intended it. it. It describes what it looks like when heaven comes to earth. I also mentioned last week that the Beatitudes serve as kind of a thematic outline for the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. And we talked about some of those themes and we're gonna unpack one of those themes this morning, the theme of righteousness. Jesus jumps right into unpacking this theme with his words in Matthew chapter five, verses 17 through 20. Read with me there what Jesus had to say. He says this, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear until the, uh, from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands or teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is making a powerful statement about the, his identity and his mission, and also what it looks like to follow him. Jesus wants to make it very clear from the beginning that this new covenant he's making with the people of the kingdom of God, it's not because the old covenant was broken or even out of date. Jesus speaks with authority when he says these words, I've come to fulfill what's stated in the law and the prophets. This phrase, law and prophets, in the first century was understood to refer to all of God's written revelation. The law was a kind of a supreme shorthand for the whole foundation story of Israel. It explained both the creation of the world as well as God's choosing Israel to be his beloved covenant people. When you hear the word law, or you might hear the word, the Hebrew word Torah, it refers to the first five books of the Bible. But I don't want you to imagine some crusty, dusty old book sitting on a bookshelf, or some scene with a, a bunch of lawyers in suits and judges in robes, or, or police officers trying to figure out what's right and what's wrong. But instead, I want you to rather sense uh, and grasp what it looks like to have a living, breathing, dynamic relationship with God, the kind of relationship God wanted to have with his people from the very beginning of time. If you read the Genesis creation story, you see that God created man and woman to have a relationship with them. He wanted them to have a, a beautiful existence with him, but we also know that sin separated them from God and from the life that God intended to have with them as well as in them. The law and the prophets both exist in the context of a covenant relationship between the people of Israel and God. It's more than just a reference to a bunch of rules and regulations, commands to obey. Jesus speaks to how he relates to God's story already in motion, a continuation, a consummation of the story that's found in him. Jesus says, I'm not here to abolish everything written about God or from God in the past. I'm here to fulfill it. 
I hope the past week you've taken some time to begin reading through the book of Matthew using the devotional that we've provided for you. If you missed uh, one last week, we ran out quickly. And so there's more hard copies available. You can download them from our uh, website or also from the Bible app. But as you do begin to read the story that Matthew writes, you begin to see how Jesus from the very beginning begins to fulfill all that was said about him from God. It starts with the genealogy where where Matthew connects Jesus with Abraham and also with David. Throughout many times of of the story of Jesus' birth, it mentions how the events are fulfilling what the prophet Isaiah spoke about. Even how his life parallels with Moses being rescued from Egypt. And then we see Jesus coming to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. And John's reaction is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I shouldn't be baptizing you, you should be baptizing me. But Jesus makes a very powerful statement. He says, no, I need to do this because it fulfills all righteousness. What a great example to follow. And then after Jesus is tempted by Satan in the desert, he begins his earthly teaching ministry. And Matthew notes that it begins in Galilee, which is again a fulfillment of prophecy. Jesus fulfills all of scripture. It's a great continuity of God's preceding, saving covenant work. Jesus is bringing it to completion. It's all focused on him and what God is revealing through him. He's not offering a plan B. He's not setting aside or bringing a new revelation. He's not even giving a simple explanation of what the, the true intent of the law actually is that's easily recognizable. Rather, Jesus brings and gives the true, consummated, fulfilled understanding of the law and the prophets. And that's why Jesus says in verse 18, look at it there. He says, nothing in the law is going to go away. He says, not one iota of the law. Maybe you as parents have used that. Not one iota of a chance are you going to go out this Friday night. He uses some Hebrew words that kind of speak to how Letters are differentiated from each other. Maybe like the dot on an I or the difference between an R and a P. That little leg represents the smallest microscopic detail of the law. And Jesus says, don't miss it. He says that because he's not wanting us to be like legalistic or perfectionistic about the law, but he doesn't want us to miss any single part of how the law and prophets point to him. Every part of God's story from creation until this moment points to the covenant relationship that God wants to have with his people. And Jesus is bringing that fulfillment and completion. The story up till now had really been about one group of people, the people of Israel. It had been about showing them what God's character was like and teaching them how to live in relationship with him. It was also teaching them how they were blessed so that they could bless all other nations of the world. But it also told their story about how they disobeyed God and how God pursued them and showed them mercy and restoration. If you read through the entire Old Testament, you just see this cycle play out time and time and time again. But you can also begin to see why God sent Jesus to bring fulfillment to that covenant, making it possible and available to all people, as well as providing a complete picture of what it looks like to live a flourishing life, life to the fullest, the kind of life that God intended us to have from the very beginning. It all points to Jesus. And that's why Jesus can say in John 14, 6, I'm the way, 
I'm the truth and I'm the life. Scott McKnight says this, we don't read the Bible aright until we learn to read it as a story of Israel that comes to completion fulfillment in the story of Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on in verse 19 to says this, anyone who practices, or you could say lives, anyone who lives in a covenant relationship with God and teaches others how to do this, they'll be great in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who disregards even the slightest bit of this covenant relationship is not part of the kingdom of God. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law had tried to find this life that God had described and Jesus was describing, but they went about it all the wrong ways. They tried to narrow in on how to live this kind of life, achieve this life by obeying every iota of the law. In fact, they made laws so that they could keep the law. You might know some people like that where you work. If you wanna pick a picture or pick an example of piety, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were a great choice. They famously mastered how to obey the law in all of its interpretations and all of its rulings. They made the rules, so they tried really hard to keep them all. Yet, they went about it all, up, all the wrong way. They knew the law, but they missed Jesus. They dismissed Jesus when he talked about what the true intent of the law was. And Jesus doesn't commend them. You'll see that through the book of Matthew. He has some really strong challenges for these guys, as well as some really strong criticisms. He doesn't commend them, nor does he recommend them as a group of people to emulate. Even though their righteousness, their obedience to the law, I mean, it was a high on a very all accounts. Jesus declares their righteousness insufficient for living in the kingdom of God. The Pharisees and teachers of the law, they thought they had arrived. In fact, they took their righteousness as kind of a big hammer and beat it on the heads of everybody else, laying big, heavy burdens on every other person who would follow after them. I'm sure glad that that doesn't happen in the name of Jesus. It was just for the first century. I mean, religious people, they don't act that way anymore, do they? I mean, can't we all fall into this trap of thinking our religiosity is just this external behavior? My prayer life in the past couple of weeks has really increased. That's because my daughter turned 16 and she got her driver's permit, which means most days she comes home from school or band practice, we have some dinner and then she's like, dad, can we go driving? And I have some hesitation, but I usually say yes. And then I begin to pray, dear Lord, please keep us safe, keep other people safe, bring us back home safe, right? We'll spend about 60 minutes out driving. You know, Kendall has been through many months of learning the rules of how to drive. But there's a big difference about knowing the rules and then getting behind the wheel, right? If you just know the rules, you can cause an accident or cause harm to you and others, right? I think about that difference. I think about it when Jesus talks about the, the Pharisees and teachers of the law. They knew the rules, but they didn't have the way to live down one bit. And so Jesus says to all his followers, your righteousness, it has to be greater than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. That would be a little bit like Jesus saying, hey, do you know Mother Teresa? Are you familiar with John Stott or Dallas Willard or even Francis Chan? Are you familiar with Andrew Bondurant? Your behavior needs to be better than those people. 
Righteousness is a key idea throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount. And I think it can be described as this way. It's whole person behavior that accounts with God's nature, accounts with his will and his coming kingdom. It's loving God and others. It's life like God intended. And as with the beatitude, Jesus stresses the internal disposition over external purity. And we'll soon begin to see him giving practical examples like boots on the ground kind of ways to live like this, to love like this. Jesus didn't come to change our behavior. He came to change our hearts. And I think as we begin to see how he lives, we get a picture of what it looks like to have life to the fullest, to live this flourishing life. Jesus says this, righteousness is not something to attain. It's something to hunger and thirst for. And it finds fulfillment in Jesus. He's the picture of what it looks like. He's the example to follow. The story begins and ends with Jesus. He was present in creation. He was present through the incarnation and he will be present in the full consummation when he returns. And I think that's why Hebrews 12, two says that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. He fulfills the law and the prophets. He fulfills the requirements for people to be restored back to the life that God intended us to have, a flourishing life, a life to the fullest. Jesus spent most of his earthly ministry revealing his identity, speaking of his mission, and offering an invitation to anyone who would come and follow him. In Matthew chapter 11, Matthew records a moment in Jesus' life where he kind of has his identity question. His ministry is being criticized as well as the invitation is being rejected. Matthew 11 describes, that, especially as Eugene Peterson says it, that, that Jesus had worked the hardest to reach a group of people who kind of shrugged their shoulders and turned the other way. And Jesus kind of opens up on them and just kind of lets them have it. He compares their wickedness and their rejection of his invitation as being worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. You can read about their, uh, their life and their punishment in the Old Testament. I mean, God rained down sulfur and fire to destroy them. Jesus said, it'd be better for Sodom and Gomorrah than for those who are rejecting the invitation I offer. And yet Eugene Peterson uses these words to describe. It says, Jesus tenderly turned to address them once again and said these words. The Father in heaven has given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation coming out of the father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. Jesus says, but I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it with you, line by line, with anyone willing to listen. And then he says these words. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, Jesus says, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. If you feel the heavy burden of religiosity, 
come to Jesus. He wants to teach you a different way to live, a life that's upside down. It's a life that leads you to flourishing life to the fullest. You see, right way up living is this. Try to obey the law and get what you deserve. But Jesus offers you something different. He offers us an, an upside down way to life, that we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We recognize that we fail at righteousness miserably, and yet God gives us through Jesus eternal life, grace, forgiveness, life to the fullest. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's story from Genesis to Revelation. He's a picture of what true righteousness looks like, whole person living like God. And of course we recognize it's impossible on our own, by our own strength, to ever live up to this life unless we receive the grace that Jesus offers. Left to ourselves, we'll never be able to meet the entry standards into the kingdom of God, which is complete righteousness and perfection. So therefore, we place our trust in the only one who ever did keep every law, every regulation, every statute. He's the one whose righteousness did exceed the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So we trust in him. And in him, we find the fulfillment of the demands of righteousness, the demands of a person dying in our place. He changes us so that we can truly obey him. He gives us a soft heart instead of a hard heart, not just externally, but from the depths of our being, joyfully submitting to his reign and watching him allow our lives to flourish. So I want to encourage you to discover Jesus' identity and mission. I want you to see him on every page, on every word of every bit of scripture. And I want you to say yes to his invitation. He comes to bring us life to the fullest and establish with us a new type of covenant that's based on bringing heaven to earth. And when you and I hunger and thirst for righteousness, we're filled with Jesus as we follow him. We can see a full picture of his identity and mission. By following him, we learn his ways and we experience life to the fullest, a freedom that brings a flourishing life. I want us to respond to that kind of invitation today because Jesus, who said those words, come to me, all who you are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, Come and learn from me. Take my ways upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You'll find rest for your souls. So I'm going to invite you here in Newburgh and at our West Campus to stand in this moment. And we're going to sing the words of that song we learned earlier today where we ask God's kingdom to come and reign in our life and in our world. And this morning, if you find yourself maybe weak, this morning, if you find yourself poor, poor in spirit or just empty because you've tried to live this life on your own. Maybe this morning you're suffering in some way, physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. Maybe you're mourning today over the state of our world or the state of your marriage or the state of your relationships. Maybe today you're here and things look really good on the outside, but somewhere deep inside of you, there's a hunger for more. I want you to say yes to Jesus. I want you to invite his kingdom to come and reign in your life. Jesus says, come. 
And our responses come. Let's pray together. God, thank you for being God. And thank you for writing down what it looks like to live in this covenant with you. And God, I thank you that you just didn't leave it to words, but you put that word into flesh and sent Jesus as a fulfillment of that picture of what it looks like to have life to the fullest. Jesus is also the one who brings fulfillment of that covenant relationship, God, because our story, every one of us, is that we've messed that up on our own doing. And yet, despite that, you sent Jesus to restore that relationship, to bring a new covenant between us and you that would be forever, for eternal. And God, we, want, we hunger and thirst for you. God, we, we long for you to come into our life to fill us, to lead us, to work in us and through us so that we could experience this heaven on earth reality, this life to the fullest, this upside down way of living that not only brings fulfillment to us, but offers fulfillment to a world that so desperately needs it. So God, would you continue to speak to us? Would you meet us in this moment as we worship you because of who you are, because of what you've done in our life, we say, come. May your kingdom come and reign in our hearts, we pray through Christ. Amen.